Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Matt Chat, brought to you by FantasyGrade.com and the Ultimate Fantasy Wrestling Challenge. Do you know more about wrestling than your friends and people from around the country? Prove it. Go to FantasyGrade.com and enter the live event, online event, or both. Become America's first fantasy wrestling national champion and support USA Wrestling today. Today I'm joined by the associate head coach from the University of Michigan, Sean Bormet. Sean, how are you? Doing great. How are you today? I'm good. I know you guys are on the road, right? You just got into uh, into is where are you guys at right now? We just uh, we just got into Raleigh, North Carolina. That's right. You guys are, are wrestling NC State tomorrow night, right? Yeah, correct. So, well, I appreciate you carving some time out for us this week. Um, you have a really interesting story, and I want people to hear about it. So I'm gonna, I'm just going to jump right in. You know, and I was doing some research on on you and all the things you've won. It's it's really, really an impressive list. And, you know, I really got to know you first going to junior and cadet duels and um, those teams you had there. And then what you did at uh, at overtime. So I really want to talk to you first about overtime, overtime wrestling club. How did that happen? You know, how did you come up with that idea? And, and you know, what was your vision when you first started with that? Well, it really started. In the late 90s, I was recruiting. I was working at the University of Wisconsin. I was on a recruiting trip out in New Jersey. I was uh, there to take a look at Donnie Pritzlaff. He was training at his club. It was called the Edge. It was like you know a club. After night, you know, at night he'd go there and train. And there were a lot of other kids there training. It was the first time I had seen kind of a, a club atmosphere like that. So when I was sitting there recruiting him. You know, I just kind of filed away a lot of things in the back of my head. I met the uh, the owner, Ernie Monaco, is a great guy. Yeah. Had a conversation with him, and then uh, I kind of just filed it away. I was still training and competing at the time, and I was coaching. But I just always thought that that was something that appealed to me and that I thought could work really well in the Chicago suburbs. You know, growing up there, I knew I knew the wrestling landscape. I knew how competitive it was, and you know, the depth that we had in the state around the Chicagoland area. And I just always thought that that was something that was, you know, it was just really appealing to me. And and uh, then when I started to finish and wrap up my competitive career, um, you know, I just decided to uh, take a leap of faith and, and go try to do that uh, back in those suburbs. What were, what were some of the struggles? Because I know there's a lot of clubs popping up right now. What were some of the struggles that you initially encountered? I think some of the, the early things, like, in, you know, it was very, when I first moved back to the state of Illinois, there was a kind of a split between uh, the, the junior high and kids coaches and the high school coaching federation. It was, you know, uh, kind of a, an organizational uh, split that was going on in the state at the time. And there's a lot of, I think, just a lot of clubs at the kids level and even at the high school level kind of recruiting against each other and kind of, kind of swiping kids out of clubs and, and trying to build up these super clubs. And, um, you know, and that was never my intention. I was never going to try to build a club where I competed in the state of Illinois. Um, so that was one of my first hurdles was kind of just making sure people understood that if they sent their kid or their wrestler to me, I was not going to try to take him from his local club or start my own super club. I, I really had no interest in doing that. You know, I would take kids to national events, and we'd go to, together as a group to some of those national tournaments. But as far as the state went, I didn't, you know, I didn't care where kids came from and what club they were with. My only interest was, you know, was working with them, mentoring them, and helping them uh, reach their full potential in sport. Um, you know, and then 
probably the other biggest challenge was just the idea of someone actually making money in the sport of wrestling. It was just, it seemed very foreign. I think at the time, a lot of the wrestlers and their parents were, um, you know, we're okay with it, but sometimes I got some some pushback a little bit from high school coaches and and some different coaches. I think maybe coaches were have been coaching for a little longer, you know, because they they have been probably made their salaries by teaching, and you know, so just kind of talking with them about that and my thoughts about that and what what really was important for the sport and the growth. Uh, um, that was probably my my second biggest hurdle, you know. And that was one of the things I actually. You know, I really felt good about when I was when I was building overtime was that I actually, you know, we had some great great coaches uh, alongside me at that gym, and you know, really created you know four four full time jobs in the sport of wrestling for many many years uh, through that club that otherwise didn't exist in the sport, you know, outside of you know college coaching or the USA national staff. So I felt like those were things that were you know, we're good for the sport of wrestling overall in the big picture. Yeah, most definitely. And, yeah, I mean, I know you guys just had it really rolling there. How? What do you think were the steps, you know, looking back on it, that helped make it so successful? Well, I think the, the first thing was just really caring about the kids that were coming to the gym, working with them, doing a great job with them, you know, running practices that had a good balance of, of hard work, teaching them how to train the right way to be successful in the sport, but also making it enjoyable, um, you know, really good customer service with the, with the families and making sure that the families, you know, are um, kind of getting educated along the way, too, about the sport and what, what, what it was going to take for their, their, their kids to be successful. Um, you know, and just really trying to do a great job every day. I mean, it was... You know, it was kind of a different uh, schedule because you're really you're working you're working on your business most of the day, day in day out. You know, and then when it comes time, you know, 4:35 p.m. when most people are shutting down for the <laughs> for the night, we're we're actually going to start doing the real work, right. which is training the kids. And uh, for me, that was always like the reward. That was the best part of the day. I loved going back on the gym, leaving the office, going back into the gym, and and spend the next four or five hours in there just just having fun and, and teaching kids how to wrestle. And that's really what I enjoyed the most about you know, the structure of overtime is that it was it was truly about just training kids and helping them, you know, reach their potential in the sport and be great because, you know, there weren't a lot of rules and there wasn't red tape. Um, you know, I wasn't their club coach or high school coach, so there was no real team factor for me. Um you know, it was really just helping every kid really develop and and learn how to really enjoy and be successful in the sport. Yeah, and and I think the first time I came in contact with you was you know down in Oklahoma City going to junior duels and cadet duels, and you'd bring these teams in, and they would just roll teams and roll really good teams. And I mean, and you could tell that you had taken what you had the structure you had at overtime. And put that same methodology or system uh, into Team Illinois. So, what were some of the things? You know, looking on the outside, it seemed like your guys were really good at dropping the leg laces and things like that. What were some of the methodologies or systems you used to keep that that Team Illinois to have that repeated success at both junior duels and at Fargo? 
Well, and we just injected a lot of it into like the daily training. Um, you know, we obviously had a tremendous group of coaches there with me, you know, with a lot of, you know, international experience with, you know, Kerry Bowman's and Ed Giese and John Kading. And, and then, you know, later we had a younger coach, Donnie Reynolds, who actually came up through our system. So he understood we were all on the same page. We kind of developed a lot of that system together in terms of just the, the, the teaching and the drilling and the, the live wrestling minutes. You know, we just really, you know, over time we just kept putting them in those kind of situations. And obviously we taught them a lot of other things, but there was definitely certain, you know, certain strategy and, and, you know, go-to technique and certain positions that we trained for years. You know, and a lot of those kids that, you know, once we really started rolling, you know, a lot of those kids, they started with us. You know, I like to start those kids like, you know, learning freestyle, like at least by like sixth grade, you know, so sixth, seventh, eighth grade, before these guys even get to be cadets, they're getting several years of like really learning and having fun and understanding leg races and gut wrench offense and defense and, and just, you know, the awareness you got to have for freestyle. And a lot of those kids, I mean, they, they really enjoyed it and uh, they, they really look forward to it after the, the folk style season. So, you know, getting them in there and having them excited about the training and learning. And then once you start having success from all that hard work, you know, then it just really starts to snowball. Yeah. And I mean, I coach a, a high school all-star team here every year after the season's over. And one of the things I see is that one of the, what those guys like, at least with my experience, they really just like being able to train with really good guys. Did, did you see the same thing there where maybe these guys were the best guy at their high school and struggled for training partners? Yeah, absolutely. We have kids driving from all over and, um, you know, I, I didn't realize, I mean, I realized they were driving from all over, uh, then I realized it on a certain level, but now that I, uh, I drive my daughter to field hockey training at different places and I, I see, I'm doing some of this stuff. Like now I really realized that the incredible commitment that these kids and their families were making. The shoes so, on the uh, other foot coach. <laughs> oh, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, I just, I have such a great appreciation for the commitment and, the desire those kids and families had to be there and support their kids and, and uh you know that it's just it's pretty special but absolutely those kids love being there together they took a lot there was a lot of pride in them being there there was a lot of pride in being part of that room and in the training and you know those kids wore it on their sleeves and and that that kind of bringing that edge to the mat you know it makes a difference yeah, I mean, coaching only goes so far. If you have a bunch of studs to train with, it obviously helps guys jump levels a lot quicker. So you're a guy that's coached really at every level. I mean, you've coached those grade school kids. You've coached high school kids. You've coached college kids. And, and obviously, you know, you coach guys like Pritzloff and a bunch of other guys at the, you know, international and national level. To, for you, what is the biggest difference or differences between coaching those guys at those various levels? You know, to be honest with you, there really isn't much of a difference. I mean, you know, when they're younger, sometimes they don't have the, um, they just don't have the, the motor skill development to do some of the technique. Mm-hmm. But, you know, really so much of it at every level, you know, depending on what, what level they're competing at, you know, once you get to a very competitive point at that level, you know, there's a huge amount of it that's between the ears, the mental approach. You know, and just believing in believing in your you know your wrestling ability, your offense, your attacks, and and having kind of that you know that mentality where you can compete freely. I mean, <clears throat> spending time teaching that and getting kids to to buy into that mentality is that's the biggest like hurdle and challenge to to be really really successful at all those different levels. And 
but well, you know the technique's really the same. The only thing that stops some of the younger kids is just you know really is just motor skill, motor skill development, and um, you know, and then just experience and time in the sport. So you're teaching the same level stuff like to those high school kids that you are at Michigan. It's just their ability to you know maybe just minor tweaks. Is that is that your approach to things? Yeah, I mean it's. You know, a lot of the techniques and the, the positions, a lot, you know, they're really the same. I mean, you know, there's maybe, maybe there's some more advanced setups or I think some, as they get older, they have a little more ability to, you know, to chain wrestle through more positions and, 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 you know, at a higher frequency. And that's what you're always kind of pushing for. But, uh, really, you know, the scoring and the technique, it's really the same. You know, it's, you know, in the great, great matches, I mean, even at the, whether it's the, the college level or the international level, a lot of the scoring is just, it's more basic, actually. You know, the, right. the positioning is better and stuff, but the scoring is very basic. Still single legs, double legs, high crotches, stuff like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we got a lot of young guys that listen to this. What skills or positions or situations do you think kids need to work on while they're in, you know, grade school, middle school, high school to improve, you know, jump levels and ultimately to get recruited? You know, I think, you know, part of it's, Basic, basic fundamentals. You know, I think really just having a good, you know, learning a lot of good basic fundamentals first, really good basic, uh, fundamental defense, penetration, you know, how to use your hands and, and, and use like inside setups, you know, from, from control ties, you know, and then also have some stuff from the outside. Um, I think there's a certain, you know, like I've seen a pattern. I saw a pattern kind of in the middle of my, my time at overtime where I saw a pattern and it really started with the internet, you know, some of the, some of the funk wrestling kind of started to really become uh, more prevalent at the college level. And then a lot of those little clips of that funk became, uh, you know, very prevalent on the internet and, and, and got the young kids and young coaches and those things. And it's not that those techniques aren't good or they're not, or they're bad, but I just, you know, I just feel like when kids learn the basic, the really basic defensive farm first, it uh, it helps them in the long run. It helps them for the college level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it also, you know, I think it also keeps them a little healthier. I think there's a, less injury in some of those positions when they're young. You know, I, I see what I saw a lot with some of the more elite kids is you know, getting into when they're younger and they're elite, usually to get better workouts. Sometimes I would see coaches have them wrestling bigger, older, heavier kids because it made it harder for them. But it's also, you know, it is harder for them, but it also it also creates some, some higher levels of stress on, on the ligaments when they're young. Yeah. Uh, and and sometimes you don't see the effects of that until they get older and they're starting their college career. And there's already been a lot of, a lot of wear and tear on those joints and ligaments. And uh, so sometimes, you know, for me, I, I try to really teach a lot of that basic stuff, a lot of the defense, good defensive fundamentals, good bottom wrestling fundamentals, you know, and then as they got older, you know, and, and started to really have a good hand on that stuff, then started introducing more advanced things and, and some of the punk defense and, you know, things like that. Yeah, it makes sense that the point you make about people being stressed and having your know, kids rather – you know, ligament and joint stress is, is unique. I mean, I've done probably 10, 15 of these interviews and no one else has said that. So I assume you've seen some pretty, you have specific examples of guys in mind that maybe didn't reach their peak in college because that happened to them. So. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've had the luxury of watching some really good kids, 
that started when they were eight, nine years old and watched how they wrestle, you know, tried to help develop and, and kind of um, advise them on, on how much to compete, maybe when to scale back. And then also, you know, I've been able to see the outcome of, of some of those decisions and, it's hard to pin it down, you know, on, on one sure. thing or another, but I definitely see some patterns in, you know, with, with kids that are really good young or kids that are bigger and good when they're young, getting pushed in a, you know, really challenging bigger older partners. And I do think it manages to take a toll on their body at a young age and you don't really see it until they're older. And, uh, and even the amount of kids compete, you know, I think sometimes that, you know, I tried to scale back a little bit when kids were competing in Illinois and, you know, some of the kids I was helping train just, you know, I would kind of pay attention to match count and I would, yeah. I wasn't paying so much attention to match count for where they were currently at in wrestling, but these kids that really had the potential to go on to college, you know, I, I just knew match count starts to, it starts to add up and starts to make a difference if they really want to be at their best in terms of just overall, like the mentality for the sport and the passion to do it at a high level, you know, for five years when they get to college. And, you know, I think sometimes that stuff can be overlooked. Yeah, it feels almost like a running back, right? Like where there's only so many hits they have in them, and you know, you try to try to minimize that early if you want them to su- ex- excel and succeed at the highest level. Yeah. 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 Well, so I'm friends, real good friends with John Morrison. I know he came through your program. I know a ton of studs have come through your program, and I think one of the questions that really hit me when you did this was. Why did you leave? I mean, I know obviously you had a job waiting for you, but you know it seemed like it was a very successful business, and it seemed like you're enjoying yourself. You know, why did you leave, and how hard was that decision to make? Well, it was a very, very difficult decision. It was, uh, you know, really incredibly fulfilling, enjoyable. You know, twelve years that I did that. I, I, I mean, it was, it was the twelve years flew by. I worked, you know, pretty much around the clock. Uh, building that and working in it and, you know, enjoyed every day of it. Um, but if ultimately it came down at that point, it was kind of like a lot of things converged at one time. Um, and it really was a family decision. You know, I was at a point, I, I, you know, I had been approached by some colleges prior to Michigan. Uh, but, you know, I ended up going to Michigan in the summer of 2011 and, Probably starting between like 2008 and 2011, I had been approached uh, to see if I'd have some interest in a couple coaching positions at different colleges where jobs became open. And right, I, so it got me thinking about it, you know, because obviously, you know, I, you know, before I did overtime, I was coaching at the college level at the University of Wisconsin, so I did really enjoy that level and the competitiveness of, you know, competing um, at, at the Division One level. So it got me thinking about it and then, you know, really came down to a family decision. My, you know, my, my wife had an opportunity and she was, um, working on a PhD when I met her and then she moved to Chicago, uh, with me. But, you know, so she had kind of sat on her PhD, you know, for quite a while, but she had an opportunity to go back and finish it. Um, and I also realized my, I, my daughter was starting first grade that year and mm-hmm. I realized during her first grade year that the lifestyle I had running that gym was going to really interfere with me being able to see her and spend a lot of time with her because it was really a night job. It was an all-day yeah, job running the right. business, but it was, a, it was a night job training the kids. 
yeah. <clears throat> as much as I love being in there with those kids, I was starting to go like days and days without seeing my own kid. And, you know, I, I realized you just, you know, at the end of the day, you never get that time back. So that was another part of the decision for me. It, it, you know, it really didn't have anything to do with anything other than some, some, some family elements. And then really the opportunity to go back and coach at a place that I really loved right. with some people I really enjoy. And all those things kind of lined up at one time. It was, a, it was a really difficult decision, but it was one that I knew probably was only going to come by one time. So I had one time to take that and go do it. My wife went back. She finished her Ph.D. Um, you know, you, you, you still spend as much time working. You work just as hard, but I have a little more of a normal schedule. You know, I, I get home. I can have dinner. I see my, my daughter. I get to, you know, go to more of her uh, her sporting events. Sure. And, um so those are those are really the reasons. Yeah, I mean, to those of us on the outside, you know, you know, you hear things you don't know, and you know, obviously, it. We figured with everything you were doing in overtime, people had to be talking to you for no other reason. It felt like you could recruit Chicago really well, which is a great place to be able to recruit. So, yes. you mentioned you know the relationships in Michigan, and and I've known Joe McFarland since I was in high school, and he recruited me. So, for the people that don't know a lot about Joe, you know, tell tell us a little bit about what it's like to work with him, for him, what kind of mentor he is, and just what kind of guy he is overall. Well, my my relationship started with Joe actually when I was still competing. So, you know. Joe came in before my uh, my last two years of college. So, um, you know, I had the opportunity to have him coach me those last two years, and he made a, a significant difference and had a huge impact in those last two years of my college career. So I got to know him first, really as a coach who spent a lot of time. He had a big impact on the program and on myself those last two years. So I had a lot of respect for him uh, from, from a coaching standpoint. And then, you know, I, I went to coach at the University of Wisconsin, but I was, so I, I saw Joe, you know, around the Big Ten, and you know, always maintained a good relationship with Joe. And then the years I was running overtime, he was recruiting kids at overtime. You know, we had some kids go to Michigan, we, we had some other kids he was recruiting them going other places. But you know, so our relationships, you know, it stayed pretty consistent. And and you know, and obviously I was following Kyle's level. So you know, with Joe being there. And just, you know, kind of in the position, you know, they were at at Michigan at the time. And, and, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of a, an easy transition in terms of the staff. You know, there's a lot of familiarity. I, I, you know, I think the way Joe, uh, you know, some of the things he taught me technically and the things we learned, we had a lot of, a lot of, um, just a lot of, a lot of common influences mm-hmm. from, a, from a wrestling standpoint. So there's some familiarity there. But, um, you know, Joe's been, he's, he's been great to work with since I've, I've been back there. You know, he's got a lot of knowledge. <clears throat> he, he's, he's, um, understands everything at the University of Michigan very well. He's very well connected there. So some of those things really helped, you know, my transition be a lot smoother, uh, jumping back into the Division One level after I've been running a club for 12 years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, and, and that, you talked about being really well connected up there. One of the unique things I think about Michigan is the relationship with Cliff Keen. And I actually run an all-star charity event. And I literally just got 29 boxes from Cliff Keen in the mail yesterday for outfitting our guys and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Jim and Tom Keen are unbelievable people and their whole crew up there. What's it like to, 
you know, be partners with Cliff Keen and, and, and the advantages that that brings to you guys? Well, it's, it brings an, you know, a tremendous amount of tradition, uh, to the program, you know, from, from Cliff coaching there so long and from the Cliff Keen family being so involved in wrestling and just the support they give our program, you know, that, I mean, that between like being there and having a presence, uh, the support we get from them, you know, with all, with all their equipment and their gear, you know, it's, it's, you know, we bring, even like when we have recruits come in, a lot of recruits, you know, every, all kids grow up wrestling, no Cliff Keen athletics. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But not all of them, not all of them know it's right there in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So a lot of these kids are like shocked when I tell them, yeah, it's right here in, in Ann Arbor. And, and Tom and I, you know, Tom Keen and I actually go back all the way to college. We were in college together in Michigan, uh, wow. same, same grade. So we, we've, we knew each other as freshmen in college in Michigan and, and kind of hung around here and there while we were in college with some, you know, our, with each other and some other mutual friends in wrestling and hockey. And now, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of full circle because now my daughter plays field hockey. You know, she started playing when she was young when we moved to Ann Arbor and Tom's wife is her coach and Tom's daughter plays on the team. You know, wow. my daughter, they're on team together. So we, you know, Tom and I are traveling to a lot of these national tournaments together for field hockey. Uh, so we're spending time together at wrestling and field hockey now. So uh, it's it's a great relationship, and they are a tremendous family. They do they do so much for the sport of wrestling. They do, yeah. And um, they're just and they're very generous people. Yeah, for sure. And when I was, you know, we work with them and the Keens, and my parents have an unbelievable relationship. And when we were, you know, ordering our stuff for this event, my rep at, at Cliff Keen was Connor Utsi. And, you know, I was talking to him and I, I asked him, I'm like, you know, I heard you have another year left. He goes, yeah, I'm not going to take it, this and that. And, you know, he was happy with his life and he's a great rep. And then you guys pulled him out of retirement. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, it's, we've had, you know, obviously we got a, you know, we got a young squad this year and we've, we've we got some guys redshirting. And then we also, on top of the guys we have redshirting, we had some, you know, we had some, some very unfortunate injuries and, right. and two of those injuries were at 125. We had a, you know, our, you know, we had one, 125 pounder actually tears ACL and wrestle offs. And then our, uh, our, our starting 125 pounder, Austin Acid, he, you know, he tore his ACL early in January, uh, just the night before a duel, you know, just even kind of, it wasn't even like he got in a bad position. I mean, it was just drilling and, and, kind of caught his knee in a bad position but you know so we were down literally we had no 125 pounder and you know i kind of mentioned some things late in the summer to connor about that kind of a situation because you know i've just seen enough of these where man it's so hard to predict and, and you gotta you gotta prepare for everything and i kind of planted a seed at the end of the summer that you know that i was i supported his decision i understood where he was at in life and what he wanted to do and and where his motivation was, and but I said if if we get in this situation, <laughs> you know I'm gonna call you, and uh, and sure enough, you know here we are, we get in that situation, and you know and, and we called Connor, he came down to the building, met, met with the staff, and he's just that kind of a kid. He's just he's an all-in kid. Yeah. He, he he knew he had an opportunity to do something great for the program, bigger than himself. And it took him about, I think he probably thought about it for, for five minutes and said, <laughs> I'm in. That was literally, you know, that was on a Friday. 
we, we, we had him come in and got him all, you know, got him on, on the roster and certified him the following, uh, Wednesday and put him on a bus and took him on our first trip Thursday. Yeah. He had literally had, he had two drilling sessions in when we went to the Illinois trip and we got him down to wait for that just to start getting him into the process. You know, we, 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 but we weren't going to compete. We weren't going to put him out there to wrestle, obviously. And, uh, but you could see even during that duel and getting his weight down and being in the other team's environment, you could just see his competitive juices were going. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and sure enough, by Sunday, he, he, he wanted to wrestle. We didn't have to wrestle him. We, we had a good enough lead against Northwestern. We didn't need to wrestle him, but he, he wanted to go out and compete, you know, and, you know, and he's just, he's just, a, he's a great kid. He's a great competitor and he's really, he's making a huge sacrifice. And, and at this point he's, He's enjoying it. He's glad he's doing it. He's, he, he loves being in it. He's super excited about the postseason, and uh, you know, he's just a great kid. Yeah, I, I talked to him, you know, and asked him if he was happier filling orders at Cliff Keener being on the mat, and he couldn't lie. <laughs> so I think he's got that job waiting for him when he goes back. So um, yeah, yeah. So absolutely. I mean, it's, we talked about it. You know, we talked about it. So you know, we've all, you know, everyone has a point when they stop competing. And you do something else. Right. And he had an opportunity. He was doing something else already. Right. He, he was enjoying that. But we had the conversation, you know, you, 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 you know, we, we talk about that, you know, some of his matches, uh, last couple of years in the blood round and the intensity of those moments. And, you know, you, you just can't get those feelings anywhere else in life. I mean, it's true. you can't yeah. get that behind a desk. You can't get that in, in, in a board meeting. I mean, it's, no, it's you know, you're never more alive than in those kind of moments in, in, in a big high-level competition in the sport of wrestling. And, you know, I said, you got an opportunity to get that again. And he's, he's excited about it. Yeah, for sure. I don't even know if, if you know this, but um, my connection to your program is even a little deeper. Uh, Roger Massa actually wrestled for my dad back when I was a kid. So um, it, it's interesting watching, you know, Logan and, and the team you have this year. You guys are obviously really young. You've redshirted a ton of guys. How do you measure success, you know, this year with basically the duel coming up, Big Tens and Nationals? You know, what at the end of the year, if, if you've accomplished X with redshirting so many guys and dealing with injuries, what in your mind will be a successful year? Well, I mean, I think, you know, there's certain things we've been measuring throughout the season and there's been some ups and downs and there's been some, you know, when we're really consistent with a lot of the factors that lead to, to good performance, you know, obviously we're, we're having better results. And you know, a lot of times, some of, sometimes those things aren't even, you know, they're not directly the, the minutes you're spending wrestling in the match. It's it's the, the, the preparation, the recovery, the nutrition, the, the, the you know, sleeping and, and having a good sleep schedule. It's all these little things that start to affect your training and your performance every day. Uh, so shaping those things and really getting these guys prepared to to have a great, you know, great postseason has been kind of some we've been working through the whole season. Getting these guys to compete and believe and, and do things a certain way has been, you know, pretty much a consistent message. You know, I think for us, obviously, you know, we got we got guys that uh, we got a lot of guys that we feel and and believe that they can go very far. We got guys that we think can compete to win NCAA titles this year. You know, obviously those are the ultimate goals. And I think with this young team, if, if these guys do that and, and have a, a peak at the right time and have a strong finish in March, there's no reason we can't be 
you know, we can't be top, top 10 team this year, you know, top, top eight team this year. We get some of those guys deep in that tournament, you know, we get some of those guys that are capable of winning titles, uh, you know, to do that, you know, we, we could be top four team, be in, in position to compete for a trophy. Yeah. Um, which would be a huge amount of success for, for this team this year. You know, a lot of things have to go right for that to happen, but we have the, we have the talented individuals to make those things happen this year. Yeah, for sure. And for those people that, you know, don't keep track of all this on a, on a, you know, daily basis, those of us that love wrestling, but just don't focus on one team, you guys, and I don't want to miss anybody, so I want you to correct me, but you, you redshirted Alec, you redshirted Sutton, you redshirted Abinader, and you redshirted Kuhn. Did I miss anybody? Yep. No, those are, those are, those are the main, you know, the main four veteran guys we redshirted this year. Yeah, so you have those guys coming back, plus your team's really young. So, I mean, you guys should be right in the thick of things next year, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We should be right in the hunt and competing for a, for a title next year, and that's the goal. You know, a lot of things, you know, these guys have a great, you know, these guys have been doing a great job. Some of these guys are redshirting, been doing a great job. Coon's back on the mat now. At least he's been cleared to start drilling, and it's great to have him back on the mat. You know, Abinator's not too far away from that. So, you know, Sutton's been competing, uh, and, and kind of his body's been growing. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's still, still a few of these guys, you know, weight wise, we got to determine where they're going to land. Right. Um, so those are always some, some big decisions, <clears throat> but, you know, absolutely, uh, well, we should have a team that can do that next year. That's exciting. So, yeah. Yeah. So. The last thing I want to talk to you about is uh, I know you were you know a great relationship with Dave Schultz and this is the twentieth anniversary twenty year anniversary of his passing. Um, so many of us have respect for Dave Schultz. I talked to him one time when I was twelve years old and I can still remember the exact conversation. But for those those people like you that had a real relationship with him, could you maybe share a story or two about about Dave and what kind of guy he was? Yeah, I mean, he's, he was a tremendous, you know, I, I, I got to spend a few years around him, you know, a few summers, a few years, uh, at Foxcatcher towards, you know, my last couple of years of college and my first year out of college. And, um, I was at his weight. So, you know, I, I you know, I was opportunity to, to train with him and, and wrestle with him. And that was a big, that was also a big draw why I wanted to get out the Foxcatcher, you yeah. know, and why I wanted to be involved in that club because they had a lot of the top guys and they had a lot of the top guys around my weight. And <clears throat> so when I started going out there, you know, uh, it was a great environment. I mean, everybody was very welcoming, even like, you know, Dave. I mean, here's a guy, you know, Dave was in his 30s at this point. And so, you know, I didn't know him as well when he was younger. Uh, he was actually still around University of Wisconsin when I was being recruited by Wisconsin out of high school. So I met him once earlier at that point, but it was very brief on a recruiting trip. And then, you know, I started spending time with him. You know, really the thing that surprised me the most was was how much he was willing to help someone that was at his weight. You know, like just training partner. I started wrestling with him. It took me a while to start wrestling him because he, uh, you know, the first couple of times I was out there at camps, he was getting older, so he wasn't wrestling as much. It wasn't like he was wrestling on the mat twice a day. Right. And, uh, you know, I had bugged him to, uh, to train with me a few times and, you know, he already had other partners. <clears throat> so finally one day he, he said, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow we'll, we'll, we'll go, you know, so I was all excited to wrestle with him. Right. And, 
you know, in the first, you know, probably two minutes we're wrestling. I was doing fine. You know, it was pretty even on our feet. I took one shot and ended up in a front headlock. And he scored on me. <laughs> he, he, he punished me for that shot, scored on me, then proceeded to turn me about five or six times. And, uh, and, uh, you know, he got up and he started walking away. And I thought, what the heck's he doing? You know, I'm, I'm on the line ready to go again. And he just said, he looked back and he said, that's a tech. Practice is over. And he walked out. <laughs> he walked out of the room. I was so mad. I was, first I was confused and shocked. Then I was so mad. Uh, but I learned a valuable lesson. You know, I really learned a lesson from, from that, that I got to be ready to compete. If I'm going to train with this guy, you know, I got to be competitive and make it worth his time. And, you know, and I kept chipping away and, and, you know, he, he really started to, you know, he liked me because I was, I was eager to learn. I worked hard. I wrestled hard. I competed hard against him, you know, as hard as I could. Sure. You know, I started, I started to learn freestyle and get more competitive with him. And, but he was always funny. He always had a lot of great humor to him. I mean, he always like, you know, he was serious, but he also, man, he always had this, like, this little piece where he had some humor, and he would inject humor to everything. And, you know, at that time, I was, you know, my last couple years of college, so I, it was, like, a lot of time in the summer. I was always still, like, doing a lot of strength training in the summer for the upcoming season. So I would spend time in the weight room at Foxcatcher, and, and Dave wasn't, he wasn't doing that kind of lifting. He was incredibly strong, but at that time, he wasn't spending a lot of time in the weight room. I don't know if he did when he was younger, but he had a ton of strength to him. But he would do other stuff, you know, he was doing a lot of Tai Chi and yoga and he was always hiking and doing different things. And I was in the weight room lifting one time really hard and I was doing a bunch of pull-ups and he walked by and he's like squeezing my, uh, my, my, my trap. Mm-hmm. And he's like, as he, just as he's walking by, you know, I'm dead serious lifting hard. And he's like, poor Matt, what do you want all those bumps on your body anyway for? You know, and he just snickers and walks out there and, you know, takes off for the day. But he's just, he was just, you know, complete joy to train around, super, super humble, always willing to help you learn uh, technique and show you stuff, you know, and just, I really appreciated him and his family. I got to know his family and you know, I've been able to stay in contact with, with his uh, wife, Nancy, and, and, and her kids, just kind of follow them and watch them grow up and, and see them becoming very successful and, so it's I just I really appreciate the time I did have spending uh with Dave. I feel very fortunate. Yeah, and and the and the people that are listening today I think they're fortunate to hear those stories and I mean Schultz was a guy that, you know, he's kinda of built like a librarian, but everybody I've ever talked to just said he was brutal. I mean like he's a nice guy, but absolutely brutal and just strong as hell even though he didn't look like it. So Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have this the duel tomorrow night with North Carolina State, and then you're off to big till the Big Tens, and then you've got nationals, correct? Yep, down to the postseason. Yes, sir. Well, Sean, uh, you've been kind to me and my family for a long time. I really appreciate you taking the time, especially you know with it you being on the road and doing this from the hotel and all that kind of stuff. It means a lot to me. I, I truly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, too. And uh, I'm sure I'll see you down at the NCAAs, right? Yes, uh, we're running that at the uh, Missouri Border Brawl that's actually sponsored by Cliff Keens. If you're, if you're in the host hotel, you and the guys should stop by Tuesday night. UT had a lot to do with it. So. Oh, super. <laughs> All right. Excellent. <laughs> Folks, that was Matt Chat brought to you by FantasyGrade.com and the Ultimate Fantasy Wrestling Challenge. Do you know more about wrestling than your friends and people from around the country? Prove it. Go to FantasyGrade.com. Enter the live event, online event, or both. 
Become America's first fantasy wrestling national champion and support USA Wrestling today. Thanks to everyone. I'll talk to you next week. This show is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.